To become better performers, all singers and speakers would do well to learn more about audio engineering and how to communicate with sound experts. Doing this interview, I found out some things I didn't even know. Hello, this is Judy Rodman. You're listening to All Things Vocal Podcast. This is the audio version of the blog you can find at judyrodman.com. For this episode, I interviewed Fela Davis, an audio engineer entrepreneur based in New York City. This amazing woman graduated from Full Sail University and now has over 15 years of audio engineering experience, including work for industry powerhouses Claire Global and House of Blues. You'll hear the names of several legendary artists she's worked with as we talk. Fela specializes in wireless mics, in-ear monitors, has prepped gear for network and cable TV shows, including Good Morning America Summer Series, The Colbert Report, and the Macy's Day Thanksgiving Parade. She and her partner, Dennis Arimbikov, combined their experience to create 23 dB productions in New York City. Besides in-studio work, they offer a mobile one-stop shop for live projects. They film videos, do multi-track recording, mix and master for concerts and live events. When she's not creating content for a company, she's on international road tours, currently working as mixing front-of-house engineer for four-time Grammy award-winning jazz artist Christian McBride, and also for Ottman Liebert. All right, and we are so happy today to have Fela Davis with us for the interview. And by the way, guys, I'm going to sound really funny today. I've got laryngitis, and that is not good for a vocal coach, but it happens from time to time. Check your pulse. If it hasn't happened to you, it will. (laughs) It's from uh, a little virus. It's probably... uh, not contagious by this time and definitely not over the podcast. So I think we're good. So with that said, Fela, tell me about you. All right. Well, I'm from a small town in South Carolina named Sherall, the hometown of Dizzy Gillespie. (laughs) Um, (laughs) Yeah, so I came across audio in the eighth grade. Funny enough, I took a career placement test, and that was my top career and I was like, wow, that's that's interesting. Like at the time I was in band, I played trombone from sixth till twelfth grade. But I know I didn't want to be in a musician as a career. But the thought of being over everything, being you know, being able to hear vocals, the full band and putting that together and deconstructing that and the electronic part of it, the boards and all that kind of stuff, that intrigued me. From that day forward, I started reading a bunch of magazines and books and whatever I could find. Still young, I'm I'm 34, but at the time, the Internet wasn't a thing. It it didn't have (laughs) as much information. (laughs) Eighth grade, that is amazing that that your interest started. Yeah. Yeah, it was. So well, what's so cool also is that uh-huh. you you started out kind of as a musician. I always say once a musician, always a musician, <laughs> even yeah. if you're a, an amateur at it. But that uh, you bring that into your audio production. I think it kind of goes both ways that uh, it's oh, great yeah. for singers to know about what you do, and it's great for you to understand musicians and singers. Oh, yes. Oh, yes. That helps. So, so <laughs> understanding right. what I was going to go through and hear and 
what sections were what, what instruments were what. I knew right. that from a, an early age. So, yeah, that helped me out initially getting into this. From that, I ended up finding out about this school called Full Sail, a pretty well-known audio engineering school. I found out through a magazine in band class, and it blew me away because it was a lot of Grammy Award-winning engineers that went there, and and I was like, oh, okay, i got to find out more about this. This was in the 10th grade, and I went and visited I got my mom and sister uh, to go to Orlando with me, to take me rather, and I found out about that school in the 10th grade, and I was like, oh, that's it. I found the school I'm going to. <laughs> once, the, wow. once you go there, you see all of the boards that you see, you know, the SSL, you know, like Thriller was recorded on like SSL, you know, it's all the history stuff that I was like, oh, I, I, I need to go to a place like this. And, yeah, that was it. I was locked in on the school I was going to go to. And, yeah, when I, as soon as I graduated from high school, I went straight there. You know, that, that really goes to show how important career testing, what did you call it, the, to backtrack a little bit? It was basically a career placement. And to really pay attention to even at eighth grade what children, you know, in, in eighth grade are being drawn to, what their passion is. And then yes. it sounds like it was like a candy store for the audio engineer in you when yes. you saw all this, all this stuff in full sale. Wow, that's too cool. Oh, and yes. it sounds like you had some very supportive family as well. Oh, yeah. Um, it, it was whatever you're into, you go after it. You're going to work your yeah. tail off and make it happen. I never felt like I couldn't do anything. Yeah, that, that was great parenting. Oh, they just got out of the way. They just let my brain think how it wanted to think, mm-hmm. you know, and mm-hmm. and it went to a good place. They supported it, and, yeah, it's been a great career. What are uh, some of the things that you've done? What's been your career trajectory? For the last four years, actually going into the fifth year now, uh, I've been front of house engineer, which means I mix for the audience um, mm-hmm. live shows for Christian McBride, and I'll fill in for Mar Liebert's engineer as well. So I'll, I'll tour with him sometimes too. So, yeah, doing a lot of a lot of jazz. So I'm based out of New Jersey, but I'm, I'm right next to New York City. So I, I worked at Iridium Jazz Club. So I mixed everybody from Jose Feliciano to Roy oh. Ayers, Dee Dee Bridgewater, uh, Diane Reeves. I actually mixed Diane Reeves with, Christian McBride Big Band at um, oh my goodness. New Orleans oh my Jazz goodness. Fest. Yeah, yeah. So um, it's been amazing as far as, as vocalists. I must say I've gotten to mix the best, so I can. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. It's been amazing, yeah. right? That's what I wanted all things vocal listeners to understand was this is where you come from. You've heard the best singers, and I'm sure you've heard some singers that were not so good. <laughs> and you've seen some of the mistakes that singers have made and mm-hmm. some things that have made their shows go better or made it easier for you. Because mm-hmm. I always say, you know, be really nice to your sound engineer because they have the power. <laughs> yes. <laughs> they have the power. Oh, they can make you look good or they can break you. Yeah, but honestly, anything that we can do to make your life better definitely makes our lives better as singers. 
one thing I like to teach people to do, and I think you may chime in on this and agree, is I want to teach people to self-compress so that their volume is not so different from their lowest volume to the highest volume. So you're not having yes. to constantly grab that fader and move it up and down, especially exactly. since you don't, you know, when you don't know where the high places are. Yes, especially for the singer as far as their monitor level. I guess we'll break down monitor, engineer, and front of house engineer. Um, right. I'm a front of house engineer at live shows, so I mix for what the audience is hearing. When you're mm-hmm. out drinking the beer, enjoying the show, <laughs> I'm mixing with you here. <laughs> when you're mm-hmm. on stage and you're doing the gig and you're doing a big enough place, usually like a medium-sized venue around five or 600, they'll start having actual monitor engineers for the artist off stage. So mm-hmm. that's their whole job is to make sure that whatever the artist are hearing on stage is right and that they're comfortable. Because if right. you're not comfortable, there's nothing I can do at front of house. That sounds like the singer actually needs to know what they want to hear. Yes, exactly. But yeah, getting used to hearing yourself, whether it's in your monitor, uh, whether you're using in-ears, getting used to in-ears before you even hit the stage. Use those things at rehearsal. Yeah. Getting used to your vocal in your head like that takes a little time. Mm-hmm. It's disorienting at first because I was always, uh-huh. you know, being the age I am, we didn't have any ear monitors when I was, you yeah. know, so much when I was out. So I had, uh, I learned to use wedges. But now with in-ears, if you know how to use them and what level you want them to be and your ears are used to that sound, it is isolating. It isolates you from... Yeah the uh, other sounds on stage and the ambient sounds in the room, it can be really disorienting. So I totally agree. Like, use them at rehearsal, guys. Yeah, there's not much an engineer can do for you at that point if you're not used to that sound. Just mm-hmm. the cycle of two sticks of it is just like, oh, it makes no sense now, to your brain. I'll get into that a little bit. My background, I also work for one of the biggest sound companies in the world called Claire Global. I worked in the division of wireless where we actually put together the in-ears for like Good Morning America. A lot of the stuff that's filmed in the city, Colbert yeah. Report, stuff like that, we would do the microphones for those type of the wireless mics. So I got very intimate with that too. So doing ears for, you know, putting together packages for like Beyonce and stuff like that. So knowing what they use and how they're using it, but they do it every day. Do you trust those wireless mics or sometimes wireless mics can be tricky, but have you come to trust them? Oh, yes. Yeah, they're as reliable as a hard wire. If you pay, (laughs) it's pretty expensive to get it Uh a brick wall like that. I mean, the Beyonce style, they're using like the 9000 series, which we're probably going at like 8 to 10 grand for the the whole package. So down to like, but Sennheiser also makes, you know, like the G3 series, which is like 1,500 books. Um, That's doable if you're actively performing. And and that's that's really good too. You know, I've done pretty big shows with those as well. So, you know, um, as long as you get 
that they're in the right frequency bands, they're legal, um, because, you know, you have some older stuff out there that if you don't right. know, you, you could be on the on a band frequency that's not allowed anymore. You have to kind of keep up to date on what's going on with that, too, because I think they're taking away some more frequencies on the wireless bands. Yeah, you just kind of keep on top of that. So, yeah, it, that's the kind of the risk with wireless is, like, making sure that it's all on the up and up and talking to reps and stuff, making sure that your stuff is up to date. Well, that's awesome because when they first came out, they were not trustable, as I recall. Oh, yeah. <laughs> and so, yeah. But neither neither was digital recording. You know, just when oh, you did yeah. your perfect take, it would be uh, computer crash, you know, <laughs> let's start it again. That was perfect. Now let's see if you can do that again. So you know, uh, wireless mics were like that. But, but it sounds to me like this is another reason that singers need to make really good friends with really good audio engineers who can help yes. them with this. Yes, it, it's, uh, it's changing, you know, every day. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, it's, it's something to keep your eye on once you get into wireless. So you've done a lot of live performance work, stage audio engineering. Yes. What kind of uh, studio engineering have you done? Yeah, well, I'm a co-owner in a production company called 23DV Productions. Um, me and mm-hmm. my business partner got together. This will be our fourth year. Um, we combined forces. He was in a band and was recording, and I was doing live, and we combined forces, and we started doing live recordings and studio work together. We have a project studio where we can do vocals and stuff like that, but when we need to do drums or um, you know bigger stuff, we'll go into a studio, into the city. This depends on who we're working with as far as the artist. They may find the studio or we'll look for one. As far as vocals with mics, we like to use two microphones. It just gets a lot of warmth. Um, mm-hmm. We're using a, a Lewitt. The brand is Lewitt. They're out of Austria. Um, oh. Very good microphone. How do you spell that? L-E-W-I-T-T. We're using okay. their LCT 842 mic a lot. Mm-hmm. Um, but that's the one that we own. But, yeah, we'll we'll use other stuff, Neumann, U47, U87. Right. You know, the good stuff. <laughs> Everybody's got a favorite mic, but I, I think it's also important as we meet new people and we go into new studios to realize that you're still not really, really sure how it's going to sound on each particular song till you do yeah. a mic shootout. Do you do that? Uh We'll do that, but I would also suggest that singers do that before they even come in. Oh, that's a good suggestion, yeah. When you're not under the gun, because when you're in the studio, you're like, ah, we need to hurry up and get this track, you know. Exactly. You're in a And you're paying for it, right. Yeah, and you're paying, you know, 100 bucks an hour, 75, whatever. And so you're like, all right, let's go. Okay, well, let's drill down into that. What would be the you know logical place to do that? I mean, would you just m- make an appointment at a, a maybe at a vocal overdub studio and book that in a small room, and then just uh, go in there with different mics or uh, find yeah. book the studio that's got the mics? Because you know most singers are not going to have these expensive mics. Book you yeah. for just a mic shootout session. 
you could do that. Um, find your your local engineer and, and tell them the you know the what your plight is, or if you're looking to purchase what is good for your vocal, be a great idea. And actually, places like Vintage King, you know, like retailers, they they want you to get what's good for your vocal, and they'll they'll help you out with that because they have a lot of inventory on hand, right. and and you can do it at their studios, like they have their own places. I know oh, those are in like major cities, though, but. There are places like Guitar Center, I guess, that has exactly. uh, they, Center, that, yeah. that you it's can like, go. Yeah, yeah. I, I think they'd be more than happy because it, it means they're going to move product out the door. Um, yeah, <laughs> right. This is an expensive venture. This is how you're going to make money as well as an artist. So mm-hmm. the better you sound and, and the better you know how certain mics react to you because certain mics you may want to use for certain songs, too. Like exactly, and I've found that to be true. Yeah. The ballad yeah. and the up-tempo may, may require different. But then again, it can also require maybe just a different setting that the engineer makes uh, on the EQ of that mic. Yeah, yeah, that too, exactly. What's the most flexible and what, what do you want for, you know, what you're doing, you know, right. like for right. the recording, so... You know, it's a lot of factors, and, and really you just write it all down and what the pros and cons, and then you go from mm-hmm. there. What is your take, Fela, on uh, digital editing, about what's inadequate and what's too much? I have my own opinion as a producer, and I find that sometimes people just get really lazy since it's possible to edit everything. But uh, what has been your, your take on it with your experience? Wow. Um, I would rather the artist be prepared rather than us punching in every word. Mm-hmm. Uh, is that what you're talking about as far mm-hmm. as? Yes. Tuning and also, uh, you know, the rhythm thing where you can quantize it just perfectly oh. and all that. Oh, yeah. It wastes so much time to do it that way. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. If you can just put it down how you like it in the first place, it's going to save your engineer editing and you time. Because, I mean, you got to pay them to edit the heck out of your vocals, you know, like putting it on the grid. We've had to do that. It, it's, yeah. Less <laughs> is <prepared>. best. <laughs> <laughs> right, right. Like yeah, learn to so sing in tune. What all. a concept. <laughs> uh, yeah. Well, also, it would probably have to do with the particular uh, genre of music that you're making. More EDM, of course, you want more of a kind of a rave sound or a mechanical robotic sound for EDM. But Uh, even that, I would think, you still want personality in it. And the more editing, the less the personality, right? Exactly. You still need feeling. You still need to express emotion. So... You just laying it down how you want it in the first place, it just saves a lot of time. And, and then your engineer has to guess on the feeling. And mm-hmm. you got or even the note. Mm-hmm. Feelings, yeah. And it's like, oh, this is not what I wanted at all. It's like, uh, <laughs> uh, <laughs> Right. So, oh, yeah. I've had, you know, engineers uh, just edit a note that actually didn't exist in the melody. <laughs> Because the singer was just too off, and they didn't know. They had to pick, and uh, they picked wrong. 
But, yeah, they, yeah. you know, they can't read your mind and they didn't write the song. So, yeah, just help your engineer out. In things like jazz or R&B and even uh, more traditional country, genres mm-hmm. like that really need to limit digital editing that's at least noticeable because with the bending that needs to go on and the, the feeling and, and the stylistic nuances, the digital editing just takes all that out, doesn't it? Exactly. Oh, yes, definitely. Yeah, you can't get the emotion in it on a grid. There is no grid for emotion. Ooh, that's, that's good. That is really good. That's like a refrigerator magnet. There is no grid for emotion. Love that. <laughs> All right, well, tell us a little bit about working with Christian McBride. Are you on the bus? <laughs> oh, yeah, everything. Uh-huh. Oh, yeah, we were all around the world last year. Um, wow. Russia, Africa, Europe, yeah, we, we were all over. Um, oh, my goodness. Yeah. How's the schedule? How's the schedule for your work? You have to um, set up for sound check, and you have to take it down when it's all done, and, you know. Uh, well, yeah, well, that's the great thing about working for an artist. Um, I'm only concentrating on him. So awesome. um, I bring all of the mics that I want uh, to have a consistent sound. And uh, I actually recorded, multi-track recorded on uh, most of this tour, like in Europe and stuff. So that brought in an extra an extra layer of uh, audio. But it was fun. It, it was, so you it could, was really he can cool. have a live album. Oh, yeah, yeah. We got oh. a lot of material for that. Does he overdub uh, some, something that he missed? Would, would you go back in the studio and, and sort of lay something in that, that got missed? Uh, I'm not sure yet because we haven't really Ooh. gone back and brought it to um, to an album ready situation right, yet. Right. It's pretty damn spot on, you know. Uh-huh. It's pretty amazing to hear the live tracks, and you're like, "Wow, this is what most people's uh, finished bass tracks would sound like." It, it's, it's, <laughs> yeah, we're doing a, a big band tour. Actually, his big band album came out this September, and it, it was on the charts for like 11 weeks at number one. So we're going to Europe 2018 for like three weeks. Yeah, that's always fun. That They were actually the first band that I mixed for him. He has like five bands going now, so I, oh. I, I mixed them all. Oh, wow. But his big band was what I was growing up on to mix first. And uh, everybody like teaches it at Juilliard or is in like, SNL band or from teachers at new school. Like, it's just the best of the best. So, <laughs> oh my I, I mean, it's what I thought about in the eighth grade that I wanted. <laughs> like, <what? laughs> yeah, dealing with just the best musicians in the world, it's just a joy. I, I don't have you know, to fight I, for everything to happen. Like, it pretty much lays how I want it to lay. I just got to make sure it's not too loud. Wow. I've always said that it takes a village to be an artist, and mm-hmm. the village contains audio engineers big time, and you want them, want really, you want audio engineers who care and who are uh-huh. responsible and who you can trust to be there and, and actually care about your, your voice and your performance and how everything comes out. You're actually part of the village. You're not just oh, a yeah. cog in the wheel. Yeah. Give us, if you don't mind, give us a couple of experiences you've had as cautionary tales or as marks to shoot for. Um, <laughs> <laughs> wow. 
I'm from South Carolina. After Full Sail, I was in Myrtle Beach for like three or four years. And then I moved to Miami for four years. Mm-hmm. And then I moved to New Jersey. When I came to New Jersey, I, I was working at a lot of clubs. And even in in Miami as well, I did a lot of clubs and theaters and stuff. And I have just gotten to a place where I worked everywhere. So I wanted like a, a new start. So I came to New York. Mm-hmm. So coming to New York, I, you know, you have to start off when nobody knows you doing the $50 club. Oh, yeah. You know, it's like. <laughs> paying so, your dues. Exactly. I came here paying my dues for at least like three or four years in those $50 <laughs> So that was where, I mean, it was amazing, though, because it's New York. You know, you see people who are terrible, and then you'll see people that, oh, my goodness. And I'm now and nobody knows them yet. And I know them from this fifty dollar club. <laughs> <laughs> you know, it's people you know growing out of that fifty dollar club, which it happens. I, I would see people getting better, progressively better, over those awesome. two or three years. Me and those clubs, and them go to the big time, and be like, oh, okay, <laughs> this it does happen. But then I would just see the same people doing the same shtick or the same songs and not getting better. Just always be cognitive to be getting better at what you're doing. I mean, as an engineer, I know I was cognitive to get better every time I got behind that board. Every time you get behind that mic, it's to get better. And then over Uh time, it it, it starts to work out. People want to hire you. People go after you. That is great advice. Yeah. Uh, What are some specific mistakes that you as an audio engineer see? Um, Not be reliant on reverb. Busted. I am so busted. I so love reverb. (laughs) I know, but in the monitors, it can become a problem. Front of house, yeah, that's for the audience to hear. But see, I don't care about front of house. I want to hear it. So I'm so busted. What What is the problem for you with that? Yeah, it causes issues with feedback when you're on like a tight stage. I say do it when you're on <laughs> But limit it. Limit it. Um, yeah. But No, no, no. But in your in-ears, you need it. You do. You just need it. But in the yeah. monitors, it's a problem. You know, it'll start to take off. But, yeah, you definitely need it on in-ears. But when you're on wedges, just – Try and, you know, listen to it from front of house if you're in a small enough venue. When I was using wedges, when the sound was really bad on stage, because I didn't have you there, <laughs> when the sound was really bad, I, I got to where I would walk in front of the mains, the main speakers, so that I could just hear it that way, and I was yeah. I would just be sure not to point my mic at the mains. <laughs> I, I, good. At least you know that. Yes. Yeah, I did. I did Absolutely. know that. But uh, Vela, that that's really great advice to just be able to limit our reverb if we're using wedges. Yeah. Please do. Um, and your the band that you're with, if you have a soft voice, they have to know you. They have to back off, or your drummer needs to go to brushes when you start to go and. Uh huh certain parts of a song because you know you're going to get lost. Most of this stuff is before you even get to me. <laughs> yeah, right, right. Well, what can we, how can we practice up before we get to you? <laughs> exactly. It's practicing yeah. up with your band, you guys being aware of if you're 
singer can't really hear a certain part to back off because you never know with the engineer because sometimes, you know, you just got the, the, the intern audio engineer, you know, so if you can stave off some stuff before you get there, even better. Mm -hmm. Or in this mm -hmm. case, if it's that sensitive, you really, you know, pay a guy $50 to mix your hour-long set. That's great advice. In fact, if you have a sound person that goes on the road with you, to actually have him or her at rehearsal. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. What are your thoughts for speakers? I mean, speakers, all they can do is project, project, project. I mean, as long as they project, we're good. How do they keep from popping the mic? Ah, uh, well, that that kind of depends on the the person's speech. Mm -hmm. And 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 really, there's some EQing going on. If you you know, mm -hmm. the engineer, you can usually soften it a bit or put a windscreen on, angle it a certain way so that you can speak without the air popping right directly into the mic, right? Uh yeah, but that. That's a little bit harder to do with a, a lapel mic. It usually just gets slapped on, unfortunately. Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you know, it does get slapped on, and, and it's not, yeah, it's down below your mouth anyway, right? Exactly. Yeah. You know, it, it's really like as long as you get a person who projects and you get, you know, you can usually roll out some mids or something and, you know, get it softened a bit. It depends on what tools I have. That's pretty easy. You have given us so much information and some things I have not even thought about. I think from this interview, the singers and speakers that are listening can see how important it is to understand the job of an audio engineer. And uh, they may even want to go into that. Like you said, you started out playing an instrument and then you ended up yes. actually moving into audio engineering, and, of course, singer-songwriters that want their own studios. Do you have any advice for people that want to start learning uh, about recording sound? Oh, yes. The information is everywhere. I wish it was like this when I was 16. YouTube, <laughs> Vivo, like everything. everything. Oh, yeah. Uh, like That's right, YouTube. Major engineers have podcasts. You can just Google audio engineering tips and you'll see a million videos nice. fantastic yeah. that I wish I would have had when I was 16. So much information out there now via video that I don't even yeah. – you're learning from people that are doing it in the industry right now and they're talking about the tips and tricks about, you know, how they set up their consoles. The information is just ugh. – so, number one, we do have access to information. If you want it bad oh, enough, yeah. folks, free. go get it. And number <laughs> for free, yeah. And if you want to continue with schooling, that's another thing. But you can at least find out if, if this is for you. Mm -hmm. But number two, then, to really get to where you are, Fila, that's about experience, right? And as you say, experience and always trying to be a little bit better for the next gig. Oh, yes. And the fantastic thing now, again, is the Internet, is being able to get your art out there. Um, actually, Christian McBride found me because I was just posting from those $50 a night gigs. I was posting wow. live shows. I would get in touch with the artist, and I'd be like, hey, can I repost your show? 
Oh my goodness! Where did you post it? My YouTube channel, and then I added it to my LinkedIn. And he was looking for an engineer in New York City, and I had like all of my information and my recordings. (laughs) And I I show up on the first page of LinkedIn when you look. Oh my gosh! Engineers. So. Well, what project is your focus right now? Of course, you say you're about to go back on the road to Europe uh, with Christian McBride. Um, yeah, uh, tell us about Sound Girls and your participation there and what stuff you've got coming up. Sound Girls, well, it's an organization that was started by two sound women, Carrie and Michelle. Carrie mixes for Pearl Jam. Michelle mixes for wow. like, uh, Gwen Stefani and and she, yeah, Just a couple um, of small acts. <laughs> yeah, a couple of small acts. Yeah, Michelle went. We went to the same school, full sail. She went before I did, of course. Wow. Two legends in the game that ne- had never talked to each other till like five or six years ago, and they started up Sound Girls. When I heard that they got together, and I was amazed. I knew of these women years before, like since I had been in the game, I was like, wow, I would love to meet them. But the internet wasn't really a thing at the time. I couldn't, you know, you couldn't just reach out to people like now. And this organization has made it so everybody can reach out to everybody. So, you know, I found out about so many more women and now we network together. We, you know, one of uh, Jet Galindo, one of the sound girls mastered, a track that me and my partner Dennis did together and my, my mixing partner Dennis. So, yeah, it's like we're a place where we women can get together and if, you know, you're an artist and, you know, you want to do a female-centric thing, you know, you can get female engineers and, and mm-hmm. producers and all of that. And it's just a great forum to, to get together and tell each other what we're doing and, and about Yeah, kids. and that's where I found you, yeah. Is your schedule, oh. like, completely sold? No, out? we're always, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> no, we're, we're working with artists via, you know, the, the Internet, and, we, you know, we're sending tracks. And, yeah, we, we mix, we master, we record. Um, yeah, we can mix via the Internet, you know, somebody's album. They can send us the, the sessions via Dropbox mm-hmm. or whatever like that. Our thing, we use the best gear out there time-tested with uh, the gear that uh, we try and use the best stuff out there. And, and then we also will shoot videos and stuff for it as well. So uh, endorsement stuff for businesses as well. Where can we reach you about these services? Okay, you can reach our services at Uh You can email us through that, tell us what projects you're working on, and uh, we'll be more than happy to help you out. Well, thank you so much. This has been a fascinating interview, just tons of information, and I know everybody is going to enjoy listening to this as much as as I have in questioning you (laughs) about all this. So I would love to meet you sometime. Oh, yeah. I hope that our journeys cross uh, in person one of these days. But thank you again, Sheila, and uh, please keep in touch. Thank you for having me on. This is Judy Rodman. I hope you've enjoyed my interview with Fela Davis and gleaned some nuggets you can use in your next stage performance. Leave me a review where you heard this podcast. Subscribe so you don't miss a single episode of All Things Vocal. 
the podcast for singers, speakers, vocal coaches, and studio producers. 